Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty, and uh, this is episode number 99. Uh, we're here with John Bowman. Uh, next week, we're going to have a special episode for our 100th episode, so be sure to tune back in. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have John Bowman on the show. John is the Executive Vice President at the CAIA Association and is former Managing Director of the Americas for CFA Institute. As you might expect, we'll be focusing our attention today on the world of investments, finance, and financial credentialing. Welcome to the show, John. Andy, great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's uh, wonderful to see you again. Uh, John, before we get started, uh, we do this on all of our shows. Please tell our listeners your story. And as you walk through your story, if you can define uh, the role of, of financial planning and analysis, that would be great. Sure, Andy. Uh, and and I, again, I won't go back to uh, fourth, fifth grade to keep your sanity and the listener's sanity here. Uh, but I knew, uh, let's put it this way, I knew fairly early in my educational portion of my life that I wanted to enter finance, investment management specifically. This was kind of part of the identity of our dinner table. My dad worked in the space for Russell, Frank Russell uh, and company out in Seattle when I was young. And so this was very much kind of consistent with, uh, even as a naive kid, uh, the idea of serving others and stewarding assets and delivering on retirement dreams was, was part of who I was and part of who the family was. And so after school, I, uh, I, I went to Bo the Boston asset management world to kind of cut my teeth, join State Street Global Advisors, which was kind of just being birthed out of the bank. You know, odd to believe, given it's such a huge asset management firm now. But I, I quickly threw a lot of luck and maybe raising my hand at the right time as a 23-year-old uh, bright-eyed not bushy because I've always had short hair, but certainly uh, an, an ambitious young man wanted to pursue asset management and got thrown into non-U.S. equity strategies. And so it was my first experience, um, professionally at least, with the broader world of how capital flowed, how capital was allocated, how businesses ran and how they were optimized and, and what made for a good investment versus just a good company. Uh, and so I, I was on this non-U.S., equity team for five to six years at SSGA. We went to Boston Company to kind of stand up a similar business there. As Bostonians know, you know, every good Bostonian spends a little bit of time at SSGA, a little bit of time at Boston Company, and then they can move on. Um, and then for the, as you know well, kind of the, I don't want to say ships passing in the night because Andy, you and my ships have been in the daylight and intersected a lot. As you know, yeah. from the second half of my career, I've spent the last 14, 15 years, kind of what I would call serving the industry, leading the industry, prodding and poking the industry for two professional bodies, one CFA Institute, uh, and then now the Kaya Association on the alternative side. So it has been, it has been a roller coaster ride. And, and as you say, kind of the second part of that weaving question is that m while most of my career has at least explicitly been in the institutional world, meaning managing or serving large pensions or foundations or endowments of institutions, uh, SSGA, when I was at Boston Company, and certainly a portion of my role or roles at CFA 
and at Kaya have been attempting to raise acumen and raise education and ensure that clients' interests are put first, even in the wealth management or the individual space. So I, I feel like I've had kind of exposure to that whole spectrum through the course of the last 26 years. Yeah, you know, I, I just, I loved how you framed the dinner table conversations, uh, you know, with, with your family and the, and the framing of financial planning and analysis as being in service of uh, uh, goals and dreams and wishes that the average citizen has. Uh, too many people go into wealth management uh, and investment analysis to, to make money and they think about themselves. And certainly, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we want to do well for ourselves, but how you pointed it, uh, your answer as a public good, as somebody who's uh, trying to build up uh, society. That, that's a great frame. If you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters behind your career, what would that be? You know, it's interesting. I, I, um, I could choose a involuntary uh, break in my professional career, a layoff, um, but I, I, I won't go there because I think the more powerful one that I has shaped me even more was in, in 2011. So I'm maybe five, six years into my CFA portion of my career that I described. The CEO at the time came to me and I, you know, I had, I had done a few things, mostly on the continuing education side, uh, working with portions of the CFA program, um, building out what they now call CIPM, uh, a new program, so a bit of entrepreneurship experience. Uh, but the CEO approached me in 2011 and said, I've got this idea. We've been tossing it around with the board. It's a brand new product. And I want you to consider going to London to kind of lead this thing from the ground up and build a capability, an infrastructure, a team, and take it to market. And I think it'd be a great experience for you. Um, and I have to tell you, when he first said that, I was like, I have a family of eight, you know? Uh, a couple of my my kids were all young at the time, but particularly the younger two were like infants and toddlers. Like I, I'm not one that is overly a homebody, but Charlottesville, Virginia had also been home for about half my life at that point. So you start to develop roots. There's a little bit of fear and anxiety. Well, to make a long story short, my wife, who's much more of an adventurer, we, we decide that this is the right thing. And if the CEO kind of uh, points at you, it's probably a good idea to say yes. So we spent a little over two years in London and built um, another product for CFA, another educational product, which served non-investment professionals. They called investment foundations. Uh, and it was just an amazing experience. And to your point on Octane, I think while I lived a, a solidly upper middle class life, I mean, we, we, we traveled a little bit. My dad had international work experience. As the typical American kid, we don't do this well. Kind of the idea of rubbing shoulders and culturally understanding how different ethnicities and socioeconomic perspectives uh, kind of shape you and, and living life with people of different diverse cultures and experiences, that became very real, unavoidable in London, which is the biggest melting pot in the world. The UK, on the one hand, is culturally as close as to the US, you could argue, as anyone else, but we lived amongst a very diverse group. So that was one thing. It, it helped me to be a better leader and a human just to understand the importance of diversity in all forms of the word. 
The other thing that I would say is that because you're at the center of the world, both geographically and time zone wise, I was traveling a lot. I was in India and West Asia a lot, in East Asia a lot to build this product because that was really, we felt like the the first mover opportunity was in that part of the world because it was the outsourced portion of the of the West's investment management business was in places like India and Malaysia and 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 parts of uh, and parts of China. And so this idea of understanding the world and being able to navigate it and leading a dispersed team, I mentioned that he wanted me to stand up a leadership team. I had people from Europe, from Asia, and from the US on that team. So well before COVID, I understood both the challenges and the benefits of trying to take a, a hugely dispersed, dislocated, broadly uh, you know, diversified group that sat in all parts of the world and trying to make lemonade out of lemons. Uh, and it's challenging. And that became very real again, of course. Uh, and I was able to kind of pull some of those skills off the shelf during COVID. That's a wonderful accelerant story. And uh, hopefully our listeners uh, gain uh, something from that. If we could all just travel e- virtually or, uh, or, or, you know, really travel and get to know other cultures, other people, other backgrounds. Uh, it, it is a very, very powerful experience. So th- thank you for that. Um, John, many of our listeners will be unfamiliar with the world of financial credentialing. You and I are intimately uh, familiar with it. Uh, introduce us to the CAI Association. I'm, I'm old school. I still spell out the letters. I know everybody uh, calls it Kaya. Uh, but what's its purpose? And can you profile uh, your, your average exam candidate? You know, so it's funny, Andy. We, are, we turned 21 this year. Uh, so we are a fairly young organization. And uh, the, the, the insight and therefore the response was back in the early 2000s. And uh, as you will remember, as some of the listeners will remember, what was happening is that you had all of these, uh, what I would call unconstrained equity strategies. So equity strategies that could use leverage, that could go short and long, that were kind of being trialed and birthed out of the investment banking world. And allocators, big investors, didn't know what to do with these things as far as integrating them into what was largely a a public equity and debt portfolio, a plain vanilla 60-40 portfolio at the time. We now, of course, call these hedge funds. But the world didn't know what to do with them uh, as far as their integration in a diversified portfolio. And so out of that insight came this solution that we, we didn't think any other educational organization was hitting was, which is from an allocator's perspective. How do you create a diversified portfolio that has a a more optimal risk reward strategy with these strange, idiosyncratic, to use your word earlier, high octane strategies? So that became Kaya. And for the first kind of six to eight years of our life, it was largely aligned. Its DNA was much more on the hedge fund side. We were teaching and locking arms with the industry as as these hedge fund strategies both proliferated and matured and, and attempting to equip allocators to properly integrate them for the benefit of clients' long-term outcomes. Well, of course, the GFC hits and private capital, which, is, which had been more of a cottage industry. We, of course, have had buyout private equity for years, but it was very much uh, in kind of the corners of the world and in some chapters, the dark corners of the world, if you remember the 80s well. Uh, but G- the GFC really allowed for a whole lot of reasons 
uh, for private capital, particularly private equity, and as you move down the kind of sizing gross and venture capital to explode and become accessible and more mainstream to the allocators. And so the Kaya Association, Chartered Alternative Investment Association, now covers the full array of anything outside of cash, public equity, and public debt. So we're there to help allocators build a diversified portfolio that includes not only that original asset class of hedge funds, but now private equity, venture capital, private debt, infrastructure, other real assets like natural resources and commodities. Uh, and so it, it, the, the, the opportunity set on your tool belt of an allocator has grown more complex, more advantageous. And we're here to kind of bridge that gap to help individuals understand how to best put together a long-term portfolio. Uh, the only other thing you asked, which is the, the candidate profile, we, we uh, again, 21 years old, we have significantly diversified geographically since we started. We've gotten younger. So to put that in perspective, 14,000 members around the world, that means they've matriculated through the program in 105 countries. Our candidates are, are somewhere in the neighborhood of 45% Americas, just to make it round, 35% EMEA and about 20% in APAC. But as you might imagine, the, this is moving from west to east as capital and economic growth shifts from west to east. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, for our listeners, uh, John and I have grown up in this world of acronyms. Uh, I'll unwind one of the uh, three, the TLAs, the three-letter acronyms. Uh, John referred to the GFC, uh, the Global Financial Crisis uh, commonly known as the, the great recession. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do everybody a favor yes. and unwind a couple the of living those, glossary, those TLAs yeah. for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, John honing into the world of portfolio management and investment analysis and focusing on balancing acts, if you had to choose the most important balancing act that the average investment analyst or portfolio manager has to play, what would that be? You know, I love the name of this podcast and I love this question, Andy. Um, I think this is part of the reason why Kaya exists is to attempt to discipline, to create that social or public warranty that you described earlier for the benefit of clients and the greater good of a more transparent and fair investment industry. But I think also to be a bit of a buffer uh, for what is a, a significant burden or, or conf, conflict that exists every single day you walk into the office as an invest professional. And that is the just as Odysseus, as he passed the island and all those sirens are kind of calling him over, there are shiny new objects and beautiful enchanters all the time that are, uh, are singing this beautiful song and desiring us to kind of chase after what have you done for me lately and what is the sexiest new, exciting new product. And, you know, CNBC and Bloomberg News are constantly focused on the here and the now and what's the latest yeah. take, right? Yep. Real investing ignores all of that. It cuts out all of the noise. And I'm not saying you should never watch CNBC, but I, I think often we get so caught up in things like, Federal Reserve watching, and what are they going to do at the next meeting, uh, that we miss the longer term uh, role of investment management, which, as I said at the very beginning, is to deliver this long term outcome or goal. And if that's an endowment of a university, it's to help future students 
decades from now. If that's a sovereign wealth fund, it's to support the, the citizens and the, the, the diversification of the economy. So it's a sustainable long-term state. And if that's a pension, you know, you've got pensioners that are going to be retiring over decades. And so we've got to move our eyes up to the horizon and understand that this is a long-term game. And that is the biggest, uh, I think, uh, difficulty day to day because we've got all this stuff coming at us at, at a just breakneck pace. Um, so I, I think uh, we exist to try to discipline folks to be to stay, uh, you know, focused on that long-term element of what true investing is. Yeah, I, so your your shiny ball uh, mechanism or framing, I, I'm just smiling as you're as you're saying that. Uh, because I, I'll, I'll hold up a, a copy of my second book. I, I talk about the shiny ball syndrome a lot uh, in uh, in in my second book, and it's not just in the investment management space. The shiny ball syndrome uh, is catching the eye of leaders everywhere, pulling us all over the place. Uh, and being a steward, taking that uh, that intermediate and long term perspective, uh, is absolutely essential. So, so thank you for that. Uh, before we cut to a commercial break, uh, just really quickly narrow the scope of that previous question to your career arc. What's the most important balancing act that you've uh, played that's contributed to your career success? Well, I think it's the same coin, maybe just the other side, which is, is this constant battle, mental battle. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't struggle with this, even at my age now of chasing after the high octane career path, title, dollars, upward mobility, instead of what really matters. And I, and I, from every, every mentor I talk to, what they say is most important when they look back, which is culture and mission and fulfillment of the organization that you work for. This is just like the old political adage, right? When you're under 30, you vote kind of with your heart. When you're over 30, you vote with your paycheck or your, your W-2, your tax return. Same type of thing. When you're young, you're, you're chasing after all this short-term revenue maximization. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just how the world works. When you're my age, perhaps your age, Andy, to throw us into a different category, it's about fulfillment. Do you love the people you're working for? Do you love what your organization is trying to do? Does it align with your values and, and your principles? Can you leave the, the world and that organization and maybe the people that you've got the blessing to look after as a leader for a little while in a better place than you did previously? These sound like platitudes. And for younger people, me too. Like, who are you kidding? I'm trying to pay the bills. But I think this is the true evolution of self as you move through a career. Yeah. Yeah. Aligning. If we can get more people earlier to be aligning personal purpose with that of the work that they're doing and the businesses uh, that they're working with, uh, the, the world would be a, a marginally better place. Uh, we're going to quickly cut to a commercial break and we'll be right back. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. 
Visit andrewtempty.com slash purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back with John Bowman talking about the balancing acts leaders play. John, we've dedicated a lot of time on this show to the reskilling revolution, educational accessibility, and alternative pathways into the world of work. Many companies are relaxing degree requirements, uh, meaning thou shalt have a degree for a particular job, uh, and are instead focusing their attention on experiential learning, strong skill portfolios, and alternative signals of workplace competency. Uh, Kaya Association, I said, see, I said it, <laughs> is, is working on stackable micro-credentials. Uh, can you let us know the role that CAI Association is playing in educational accessibility and creating those alternative pathways into the investment management field? Yeah, I'd say this. This is a you know, complex question with a few different avenues yeah. I want to make sure I hit here, Andy, for your listeners. Um, so first of all, you know, when I was young and perhaps the, the generation even before me, you pursued your undergraduate degree. Maybe you got a technical, what we call credential now, and you were kind of set. That was all you needed, right? And you probably stayed with the same organization for 40 years. You fast forward to today, that has completely changed. The idea of even a master's degree plus one credential is no longer relevant. The world is moving too quickly. Disciplinaries are collapsing uh, meaning that having skills that are evolving at different paces and intersecting and mash, being mashed up constantly, it's a mosaic. You constantly have to be learning and gaining and collecting new skills all the time, which is kind of the, what, what was alluded to in the question. So we don't believe that, for example, you come to Kaya and you're set for the rest of your career in investment management. It is one of many of a process of a jigsaw that you're putting together. I, however, want to be careful here, too, because I don't, I, I'm not of the belief that formal or what we call high-stakes credentials like the Kaya, like the CFA, for example, are going out of favor for some of these self-paced, what I would call kind of short-circuited online um, educational opportunities. I think they are a complement, not a replacement. Employers still want to see this uniform demonstration of both knowledge and grit and perseverance, right? If you talk to a CIO of an organization, why do you send people to the Kaya? I want to see what type of perseverance and, and kind of fortitude they have. And yes, the, the knowledge, of course, is important too. And it's a third-party objective capability. So with that long preface, we are creating these micro-credentials for uh, deep uh, and narrow understanding of certain asset classes. And we're doing this largely because of what I call this democratization trend, which is the, this, um, this movement, this voracious appetite of high net worth individuals. I talked about the institutional side having traditionally been the, the, uh, the consumers of all these alternative investments when we talked about the history of Kaya. Now, products are being created, access is being created, Regula regulatory rules are being liberalized so that individuals can get access to some of these idiosyncratic different forms of alternative investments. And as a result, uh, the entire wealth management, uh, what I call the distribution stack from the asset managers to the brokers, to your advisor, all the way down to the client need to be educated. And so what we've done is put together this ecosystem, think Disney Plus for investment advisors. 
where if you are used to, as most advisors are, uh, if you walk down to your main street, Andy, and you're, let's just say Merrill Lynch advisors, the one handling the Tempty estate, and you suddenly say to them, I want a little bit of private debt. It's likely that that's not going to be one of their, it could be, but in most cases, that's not going to be longstanding experience or expertise. And what we're providing is an ecosystem, an online self-paced ecosystem for them to have a, uh, the ability to communicate properly, to have a conversional understanding, an elementary conceptual grasp of what these asset classes are. And so we've launched several of these in private debt, digital assets, real estate is next, just to give an overview of, of what some of, these, um, some of these alternative asset classes are all about. Yeah. Are, are you uh, a little bit of a 45 degree angle here from a question perspective, but getting earlier in the uh, educational arc for most people, uh, what are you doing to educate high school students and even middle, middle school students on the, on the career path uh, of, of, of investment management. Is, is Kai Association involved there at all? You know, we haven't done much financial literacy, Andy. We are huge believers in it. We have, uh, we have dabbled mostly through our passion for creating more diversity from a race and a gender perspective in university, uh, awakening and university uh, access and job capability and mentorship. Uh, we have stood up ahead of diversity and inclusion to kind of think through how to get uh, HBCUs involved in this and how to work with large associations that, that have history with diversity to, to ensure that private equity and hedge funds, which are predominantly, we think finance generally is bad. It's horrible in these particular pockets. And so we've got a lot of work to do, but we know we've not ventured into the high school world uh, but uh, but but clearly this needs to start early teaching girls and non-white races that this is an opportunity and a career path that will serve them well would be a good thing. Well, thank you for that work, uh, because wealth management, investment management, you're absolutely right. Uh, we 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 need these alternative pathways and we need more education on the benefits of this career for people that don't look like you and I uh, do Indeed. here. So uh, thank, thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Um, on this show, we also talk about the balancing act uh, between the application of technical skill and human skill, a.k.a. soft skills, which I'm trying to kill that terminology. So let's run a thought experiment. Uh, you have a college graduate right in front of you right now with designs to become an investment analyst or portfolio manager. What advice do you give them on the balance between human and technical skill? Well, first of all, I think I want to be, uh, I feel very strongly about the type of college graduate that is good for the investment management industry. Um, this was, you know, just, just storytelling a little bit. This was Steve Jobs and and before him, Edwin Land, who was a, a lot of people don't know him. This was Steve Jobs' hero. He founded Polaroid. And their whole, their whole purpose, their, the whole vision for the identity of leaders was combining kind of the ideas of captivating design and communication and marketing with a superior engineered product, meaning left and right brain, technical skills and human right. skills. And I think our industry suffers more than most. I don't want to say all, but certainly more than most. In, in a very, uh, I would say, myopic way of thinking about recruiting, 
skills needed. Let me be abundantly clear. I think this idea of spreadsheets and, and discounted cash flow models and corporate finance skills, these are important, but they can be taught. That is frankly the relatively easy part. Finding somebody that, that really understands how to communicate to portfolio managers and clients, nurturing long-term relationships. If you're in private equity, um, building a mosaic of connections to the industry over many years so that you understand kind of all the inner workings of the business. This is a people business. I started off at the very beginning. You're serving a dream that is carried by a human. And if you don't understand this, if you start with numbers and spreadsheets, you're missing the entire purpose of why we exist. Uh, and yeah, I think that yeah. that starts with a, a liberal arts rounded. I don't mean in a literal sense, they have to go to a liberal arts college, although I am biased given my background, but it does mean that they need to be well-rounded and interdisciplinary. I mentioned that, that word earlier. And so combining these skills is what I look for. And, and maybe even hiring and thinking about recruiting and asking different types of questions about, about their resume, about what skills and experience they've had, about what school they went to. We need to get out of our own way. And we've got a very formulaic way of self-perpetuating the same issue over and over again. And it traps us. We all look the same. We all think the same. And therefore, we, we don't truly, uh, I think, evolve as an industry to serve uh, the clients in the way they deserve. Yeah, it's not all about the numbers. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll, I, I got to give you strong kudos for framing the really the whole industry as being in service of human hopes and dreams. And, uh, and you know, I, I went into the field thinking economics, finance, numbers, derivatives, curves, you know, yield curves, that, that's what, that's what jazzed me up. And it was only later that I realized that, no, this is, a, this is something much bigger it is. than the numbers. It is, so, it is Andy, you're tying that back to the short-term thing, right? If all the apparatus and the tool set, and we all do it, so I'm looking in the mirror here too, that yeah. we are measuring ourselves against, right? Things like peer rankings, like what are our competitors doing? Or let's measure ourselves against a benchmark. Uh, or what are the consult, how are the consultants ranking us and how are they recommending us to prospective clients? The client is nowhere in there. The, the ultimate yeah. goal, the only benchmark that matters is what your client, again, whether it's an endowment, a pension, a foundation, or an individual, the only benchmark that matters is their goal. And we do all this magic and unwinding to recreate uh, our industry that in often cases forgets the whole reason we're there in the first place, which is to serve this individual or these set of beneficiaries. And, and so again, I come back to why I'm so passionate about the second half of my career, why Kaya exists. It's to continue to remind and challenge the industry to go back to its roots. Finance, you know, it's, it's an old... It's an old word that means to complete, finance, final, complete. And yet we often think that it's uh, an end in itself rather than a means to an end, right? And so going back to the root of the word as to why we exist and starting to behave like it is critical. Yeah. Okay, John, we're out of time, but final question, 60 seconds. 
I, you have a time machine, you got 280 characters and you can send a message to an early version of yourself. What's that message and what early version of yourself do you send it to? I tell you what was dangerous, Andy, and you probably met me at the end of this. So you probably have memories, but when you're 29 and you've, you entered the industry in a phase where it was nothing but up, up, up and to the right, right, right. You can quickly fool yourself at that young age into thinking you're really smart and you know it all, and you're great. And, uh, and I did work hard, but I was not nearly as good as I thought. And hubris can be a silent and violent killer at, at that young age. So I would tell that younger self, don't take yourself so seriously. Keep learning. Surround yourself with people that tell you you're wrong. Stay curious. Um, pursue new things, as I said earlier, different disciplines. Uh, and, and, and also hire people that are good at things that you're not and be self-aware about it. Uh, don't pretend that you're great at everything. We can only be good at a few things. So focus on that. Let the others do the rest. Yeah. Trying to be the smartest person in the room all the time is exhausting and it's really not possible. So. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so John, it's been wonderful reconnecting with you. Thank you so much for your contributions to the show and to our listeners. It was great today. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on all the major streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, and share this episode. Uh, John Bowman provided us just with a, a whole host of things to think about today. Have a great day.